0: together we're two scientists who explore the answers to these questions and many many more in our new podcast mystery Mystery of everything Everything, available everywhere you get your podcasts do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring well look no further and join me katie charlwood your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books as i delve into unsolved historical mysteries murders by gaslight and of course Women who have been misrepresented through all time. On Who Did What Now, the history podcast that's not your history class. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.
1: It began long ago. Two young boys in an American town riding their bikes to school and little league practice. Over the years, the boys became fast friends, united in their love for stories where things would go horribly wrong. Pour yourself a strong beverage and buckle up. You're in the shallow end with Schneppley and Toth.
2: So, you know, uh, this is a significant podcast, episode 10. Episode 10. For one very unusual reason. Oh?
3: Do you know what it is? It's the first episode we've done with two digits in the title. Well, okay,
2: I amend this. This is a special <laughs> episode for two reasons. We are both in uh, different studios than the last time we recorded.
3: That's right, yes. Not only are we on separate coasts, but we're in separate studios on separate coasts than we were before. Correct.
2: Where are you? I am in Studio 1B of the uh Lion Share Group uh, studios. I'm usually in 1A, but my wife took the microphone with her to Minnesota. <laughs> <laughs> So I had to lock that studio up and go all the way to the other side of the building.
3: Oh, my. To Studio ah. 1B. Wow.
2: And I'm not too happy about it, I'll tell you that
3: much. Well, I wondered why when uh, the Zoom call came up, it said uh, Nan on it. And yeah. Uh, well, Nan's just taking over now. She's
2: <clears throat> she's taking over every damn thing.
3: <laughs> well, I'm excited about uh, about this. 10 episodes is really kind of a... A cool accomplishment, and we're quickly approaching 100,000 downloads, and for a little baby podcast, that's pretty exciting. It's very exciting. So
0: proud of you.
3: It, uh, <laughs> it's been a lot of fun so far, and you've got a story for me to start episode 10. I do from- indeed lion's share studio one a or one 1- i'm in one b one b okay
2: it's hard to get past security to get in here. <laughs> i didn't have my uh, name tag with the uh, photo id and sure. the bar swipe yeah
0: do you are do yeah. you mean your guest room
2: I wouldn't call it a guest room. <clears throat> I'd call it more of a den with a booth inside. Okay. <laughs> okay. But it does have a snazzy sign that says Studio 1B, so I know where I am. That oh. is
3: fancy, Lindsay.
2: I'll send a photo for the show notes. <laughs> We've all heard of the Mile High Club, right? Uh-huh.
3: Yeah. People yeah.
2: who have done the deed while, while in, uh, in the air. mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. There's also a club called the 410 Club. You ever heard of that? I have not heard of that. Nor had I until researching this very story. The 410 Club are people who have flown a plane to level 410, which is 41,000 feet. It's significant because, first off, most commercial aviation isn't, isn't flown at that altitude. Most flights like you and I would take... You know, anywhere between 30,000, 37,000 feet.
3: When you get up to 41,000, 41, you're, 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 you're at the cusp of space.
2: <laughs> Not quite the cusp of space, but it's, it's a higher elevation that uh, private jets, smaller jets, okay. will often fly at. Which brings us to our story of two pilots who uh, were doing what they call a repositioning flight this is back in 2004
0: i'm i'm sorry to interrupt yeah are they are, are the 410 club are they doing it at that height no no or no, 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 is no. It, okay although i
2: suppose they could be doing it mm-hmm. but in this particular case it's just somebody who has flown at that altitude
0: okay there's no banging it out involved
2: i don't think so okay, okay. i think it's just you know a pat on the back at the end of the flight like <laughs> hey we're now we're in the 410 club
0: rather than a pat in the front
2: <laughs>
3: exactly. Yeah no, yeah, no high altitude, hijinks.
0: High <clears throat> no. All right. Thank you for clarifying.
2: I'm going to use that as a computer password. <clears throat> so these two gentlemen are doing what they call a repositioning flight. I thought you said that they weren't doing the deed.
3: <laughs>
2: <laughs> they were not. They were not. I'm confused. A guy named should I start over? No, no, go uh, ahead. Go ahead. Okay. It's we our our two pilots are named Jesse Rhodes, and his co-pilot was named Peter Cizars. This is October of 2004. They're in a passengerless 50-seat Bombardier CRJ200. Now their job is to fly this empty plane from Little Rock, Arkansas to the Twin Cities, to Minneapolis-St. Paul. The 410 Club is uh, a kind of elite off-the-record group of eh, daredevil, maybe some would say not not all that smart pilots who have flown this particular plane to its 41,000-foot limit. And this exceeds the recommendations, the, the specs for that plane. Essentially, the manufacturer is saying, we've, we've got you covered at 41,000 feet, but if you go over 41,000, you're kind of, you're kind of on your own because uh-huh. the plane just is not designed to do that. So these guys are, are alone And they're a little bored and they figure, what the heck? Let's take it to 41,000 feet. There's nobody, there there are no other passengers in the plane. It's just them. It's a relatively brief flight at that kind of speed from from Little Rock to the Twin Cities. And so they start zooming toward 41,000 feet, which is the limit of this particular plane. And this this co-pilot, Peter Cesar's, Who's all of 23 years old? Oh my when this god! Happened, really, is on the uh, the box which is recording all of their conversations, and he actually says, "Ooh, look at that! Pretty cool." Looking at the uh, at the the display in the uh, the flight deck. By the way, I learned from my uh, my neighbor a while back, who's a retired pilot, that you never, you don't say cockpit anymore; you say flight deck. Oh, interesting.
0: I didn't yeah. know that.
2: Okay yeah, cockpit's a little uh, a little racy. Someone's going to get offended.
0: Misogynistic.:
2: It's probably misogynistic. most things are anymore. <laughs> okay. So uh, they, we
3: say we say flight deck. Okay. can I make a compromise and call it a flight deck? I don't know. Can, can we get a vote? Judges?
0: Flight uh, dick, cock dick. Yeah, co- either way. Cock
2: dick. Cock is, deck is yeah. nice, too. Yeah, that's All right. true. Yeah. I'm going to use flight deck for the story, but I think from now on you should, uh, you should use that in, your own,
3: <laughs> okay, we in your
2: own travels, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> so after the co-pilot says, ooh, look at that, pretty cool, the captain says, man, we can do it. Forty-one it, meaning let's take this thing to the maximum altitude. So among the questions that the NTSB had <laughs> <laughs> when investigating this, we'll call it a flight, uh-huh. is, is whether the plane's two engines, which are supposed to, to restart in flight, may have seized up. And these guys are now trying like crazy to get these engines started back up. Now, some investigators say the pilots flew the plane way harder than they should have been doing, and that you just would not do this, do this with passengers on board. In fact, the, uh, the chief pilot for this flight company, a guy named Terry Mefford, says if there's people in that airplane, you can count on the crew members are going to be going by the book. But because there were no passengers <laughs> in this plane, these two guys thought, what the heck? What could go wrong? We want, we want this 410 club. So they put the autopilot on uh, for 41,000 feet, but instead of specifying the speed in which they should fly while climbing, they just said, take us to 41,000, screw, screw the speed it takes to get there. <laughs> so by the time they reach 41,000 feet, it's it's flying pretty slowly. And this gets the attention of air traffic controllers who are looking at this thing on their screens going... What, what exactly are you doing? And so one of the uh, air traffic controllers radios in and he says, because this plane is now flying through his jurisdiction, he says uh, 3701, are you an RJ200? Meaning the type of the plane. And one of the pilots says, that's affirmative. <laughs> and uh, this air traffic controller says, yeah, I've never seen you guys up at uh, 41 there meaning 41,000 feet. And all she hears back is laughter in the cockpit from these pilots. And finally, one of them says, yeah, we're actually, there is a, well, we don't have any passengers on board, so we just decided to have a little fun and come on up here. (laughs) So in the thin air, these engines have less thrust, and now the plane slows down even more. The nose pitches up, Because this autopilot is trying to keep this assigned altitude, and that's when the automatic system warning kicks in that the plane is approaching a stall, which is when there's just too little lift to maintain flight. So one of the pilots, and they don't know who, says, dude, it's losing it, and then uses an expletive, and the other just says, yeah, (laughs) As the system tries to push the nose down to gain speed and prevent the stall, for reasons they still don't know, these pilots tried to override that automatic system. And so the plane does go into a stall. So now there's turbulent air flowing off the wings, and it gets into the engines, it shuts the engines down, and one of the pilots is recorded as saying... We don't have any engines. you got to be kidding me. That's got to be the 23-year-old. I'm thinking so. So at this point, the NTSB has decided that the plane was within actually five different airports to which they could have glided in for a safe landing. But the pilots didn't tell the controller the full extent of their problem, saying that they had just lost one engine, not both, because essentially they just didn't want to get in trouble. (laughs) And it's not until 14 minutes later that one of them finally says to air traffic control, "Uh, we need direct to any airport. We have a double engine failure. So now they're struggling to even just to glide to the one airport that is left. And that's in Jefferson City, Missouri. And one of them, one of the pilots says, dude, we're going to hit houses.
0: Oh, my gosh.
2: The plane actually crashed two and a half miles from the runway. It missed, fortunately, any homes, but it did take the lives of both pilots. Oh, my and the gosh. Airline, the airline says it's beyond belief that a professional air crew would act in that manner. And that they, they pretty much wrote these guys off and saying, this is not professional. This is not how we how we do things.
0: Well, they very easily could have taken the lives of yeah. other people.
2: Yeah, is yeah, yeah. very, very fortunate. This actually brings me to a to another story. This one involving a 23 uh, a year old student pilot.
0: Is this one less of a bummer?
2: I'll let you, I'll let you judge that for yourself. <laughs> well, okay. This is a 23-year-old who's actually kind of a promising student pilot. His name is Solomon, and he actually, you know, when you go through uh, learning to become a pilot, one of the big milestones is your first solo, where you go up by yourself after you have proven you know that that you're capable of of flying a plane. So this kid does this in a Cessna 172, a pretty pretty common flight uh, or plane for for student pilots. And he's so exhilarated by this that he decides to solo in a plane in which he has no training whatsoever, which is called a Piper PA28140. Now For the majority of readers who are not pilots, there are some very basic student flight license restrictions. And this this just makes good sense. Number one, a student may not fly solo with a passenger in the aircraft. And this is so important that they actually write this on your license. Number two, a student pilot may not fly at night without specific endorsement by the instructor. Number three, student pilot must fly under VFR, visual flight rules, meaning only during daylight hours and keeping distance from clouds. Number four, they may not fly on a hazy or foggy day. There has to be at least three miles of visibility. And some instructors even place a more stringent requirement of six miles on student licenses. And a student may only fly solo with an instructor's endorsement for that specific make and model of aircraft in which he qualified. In this case, that was the Cessna 172.
0: Makes sense.
2: Doesn't it? It's just perfect sense. So <clears throat> the owner of the flight school, uh, where this, this kid was a student, had completed his, his first solo flight in July, and he's he's impressed with him. I hear from instructors he had a very promising future to be a good pilot and a good aviator. And he actually specifically said to this 23-year-old kid, do not fly that other aircraft, because this kid actually bought this plane. Wow. He says, don't, don't fly that until you're, until you're given training in it. Because mm. not only does that just make total sense, yeah. Yeah. but you've just sunk this money into, into a plane that you're not even qualified to fly. And this kid says, of course. Yeah. What, what, do, you, what do you think? I'm nuts? So <clears throat> he can't stop thinking about flying this plane. He's, he's just got to fly in this plane, and it's nighttime. It's overcast. The cloud ceiling's actually down to 900 feet. So it's 7:30 at night, oh. and the private plane's transponder was not functioning for some reason. So the airport isn't even aware that that plane is missing until a friend goes looking for this this kid the next day. They go back and look at radar from the night before, and it shows, off, it shows that the, the plane took off at 8 o'clock at night. It flew southwest for one and a half miles, made a series of left and right ascending and descending turns, and then the radar loses contact. Investigators the next day find a 50-foot-long path of debris. Ooh. They can tell where the plane hit the right wing of the plane is actually missing. They find and and this is this is what makes you slap your forehead. They not only find solomon 's body they find a second body oh no in the plane. Oh. because this kid was was so eager to go flying that he had convinced a twenty year old friend to fly with him, and the friend did oh. and uh, it 's one of those stories where. I, I debated even telling it, but I thought, you know, if sharing a story like this keeps somebody else from making that stupid a mistake, mm. it's uh, it's just worth it. Yeah,
0: this was right? not less of a bummer. It was not <laughs> less of a bummer, but
2: no. sometimes the important lessons sting
3: yeah, a little bit. For sure. And uh, the lesson here is... Don't whatever you do, don't ever get on an airplane ever again. At least that's how I feel <laughs> at, at this moment. Yeah. Well, it reminds me of the time that Kat and I were on a cruise and we were in the buffet line and they were playing the Celine Dion song from the Titanic <laughs> soundtrack. Really? Yeah, and he just
0: kept looking at me going. Why? <laughs> no!
3: Holy cow,
2: that's cinematic.
0: <laughs> that's poor planning for sure. Yeah, yeah.
2: That's just not good. I drew this from uh, Journal.com, the National Transportation Safety Board, the New York Times, and 12newsnow.com.
1: You're in the shallow end with Schnedley and Toth.
2: We used to be called Meat Town. We've grown so big, we're changing our name to Meat City. At our sprawling five acre refrigerated warehouse, you'll find every cut of meat you could ever want. Hungry for steaks? Well, welcome to paradise. We got ribeyes, New York strips, filet mignons, flank, skirt, and porterhouse steaks, and that's just on the first three floors. Hey, if you're looking for pork, we got head, jowl, neck, picnic, shoulder, hock, bacon, ribs, loin, back fat, leg, and ham. Somebody mentioned chicken? We got drumsticks, wings, thighs, legs and fillets, boneless and skinless but never tasteless. Fish lovers dive into our selection of salmon, tuna, tilapia, cod, snapper, sardine, herring, anchovies, haddock, flounder, trout, catfish, pollock, bass, halibut, swordfish, pike, mackerel and my, hell, we've even got shark. And for those of you looking for a good cut of snake, you'll be happy to know it really does taste like chicken. You want to butcher it yourself? Didn't think so, you pussies. If it ever walked, ran, swam, flew, or slithered, we've got it at Meat City. Just off Interstate 4 in Orlando, where minutes from the Church of the Swollen Heart open seven days a week, including Sundays. Meat City. You know, JG, this is the time of year where people start planning family reunions for the summer. In fact, I have one coming up in June, and I'm absolutely convinced that these cousins that I haven't seen for a while are finally going to tell me, yeah, I listened to your podcast I don't think you guys are very good. I didn't laugh. Well, humor is subjective. So while you may have to grin and bear with your family, you shouldn't feel that way when you're talking to your doctor about, I don't know, that you maybe eat pizza one too many times a week, something like that. Well, enter ZocDoc. That's the place where you can find and book doctors who will make you feel
3: comfortable and actually listen to you. And these docs all have verified reviews from actual, real patients. And we're not talking about a few. We're talking about tens of thousands of doctors. ZocDoc is a free app and website where you can search and compare highly rated in-network doctors near you and instantly book appointments with them online.
2: Look, people love this app and this website. Next time I'm looking for a doctor, this is
3: definitely what I'm going to use. Go to ZocDoc.com TSE and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today.
2: That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com T-S-E. ZocDoc.com slash TSE.
3: When Johann Rahl received the letter on Christmas Day, 1776, he put it away to read later. Maybe he thought it was a season's greeting and wanted to save it for the fireside. But what it actually was, was a warning delivered to the Hessian colonel, letting him know that General George Washington was crossing the Delaware and would soon attack his forces. The next day, when Raw lost the Battle of Trenton and died from two Colonial Boxing Day musket balls, the letter was found, unopened, in his vest pocket. As someone with 15,000 unread emails in his inbox, I feel like there's a lesson there. Oh well, this is The Constant, a history of getting things wrong. I'm Mark Chrysler. Every episode, we look at the bad ideas, mistakes, and accidents that misshaped our world. Find us at ConstantPodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be.
1: Wait an hour after eating before listening to this podcast. You're in the shallow end with Schnibli and Toth.
0: Hi. Yeah. Could you maybe bring this party back up a little bit?
3: Well, I'll, I'll do what I can.
0: Bring us up to a cruising altitude, <laughs> oh. if you will. Mm. I'm really
2: sorry about that. I was just trying to do a public service and remind the kids listening at home that aviation is not it's not a toy. But, Kat, if it makes you feel any better at, after we finish recording, I'm going to mm-hmm. go off and have a long talk with myself.
3: <laughs> you are going to sit yourself down and have a stern talking deal. going to it's be terse. Lindsay, you and I have a background in uh, radio broadcasting. And during our careers, we have been involved in some pretty stupid promotions and contests. I've ridden a tricycle at the bottom of a swimming pool. I jumped in a giant vat of frozen yogurt. Just a couple of things that I've had to do as part of my wacky morning radio show thing. Uh, There are promotions that are even stranger that have happened throughout the years. Quite a few of them, it seems, happens... With sporting franchises, specifically minor league baseball teams,
2: I was just going to say, and I bet it's it's minor league ball. Yep,
3: yeah. In many many cases, and a good example is the Pittsburgh Pirates' AA affiliate, the Altoona Curve. They hosted what they called "Awful Night." It's a great name. Um, the entire <laughs> the entire idea was to give paying customers a terrible experience, so to draw fans to the ballpark. <laughs> they offered the first 1,000 fans that entered the gate a picture of the general manager's gallbladder.
0: This sounds amazing.
3: (laughs) Wouldn't you
2: love to have been in the meeting where that got
3: pitched and somebody (laughs) said, that's a great idea. Yep. It gets better. Those 1,000 that got the picture of uh, his gallbladder, uh, one of those lucky fans was actually awarded the general manager's gallbladder. (gasps) Okay. Nice. At the end of the uh, night, they had a presentation right out there at Pitcher's Mound.
0: Wins on wins on wins.
3: Uh-huh. Just takes a
2: great gift and makes
3: it even better, right? Another strange promotion was for the Hudson Valley Renegades. They held what they called Toilet Seat Night. Um, (laughs) The first 3,000 fans were given a toilet seat. Okay. And uh, this, this idea was kind of a, an evolution of an original promotion called Plunger Night. So they figured they'd just continue on with the bathroom accessory theme. Continue the theme, sure. <clears throat> but yeah. ill-advised promotions can happen in any type of business or industry, not just baseball. This example that I'm going to talk about right now uh, involves a chain of sushi restaurants in Taiwan. I'm ready for this. In this case, it was not so much the promotion that was a bad idea, although it kind of was. It was the participation in the promotion that was the bad idea. In March of 2021, the restaurant chain Shushiro came up with a brainstorm. They would uh, create a promotion. uh, They would give away a free all-you-could-eat sushi dinner for uh, your entire table to anyone whose name had the word salmon in it. (laughs) 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 Clearly, they thought that, you know, there would be no takers. Um, No one's named Salmon. It reminds me of the promotion we did uh, years ago where we offered a million dollars if somebody brought the real living Elvis into the building. Yeah. Yeah. And we felt pretty certain that nobody would take us up on that. So this is kind of the thinking there. This incident later became known as the Great Salmon Chaos. (laughs) (laughs) The restaurant was probably looking at this promotion as just a funny stunt, something to gain some publicity, because who the hell would name their kid Salmon? Right. Unfortunately for the restaurant chain... 331 people showed up to take them up on their offer. Seriously? 331 people named Salmon were were all clamoring for their free all you could eat sushi dinner for their entire table. What the hell? Now, I'm thinking, I'm just speculating here. If each of these people brought 3 guests, you know, it was a table of 4. Doing the math, that's 1300 1300 plus very hungry sushi diners. And all you can eat for 1300 hundred—that's That was a disaster um, economically. Heaven. What went wrong? The answer was they did not determine in the rules that you had to be born with the name Salmon. Oh, so okay. when the offer was made, 331 people paid a nominal administration fee and changed their names legally to names that had the word Salmon in it. One person changed his name to Salmon Dream. Another... <laughs> Smiling dancing salmon. And a third exploding good-looking salmon.
0: I'm For free sushi? Yeah. yeah.
3: Yeah. How badly do
2: you want a free meal that you're willing to go through the rigmarole of changing your name?
0: I am barely able to get my car registered, and that's to keep me from getting arrested. <laughs>
3: <laughs> 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 well... A lot of these people were social media types, ah, and okay. they, were, they were building their social media followings, and so they thought it would be a, a fun way to do that, and uh, they, it actually worked for them. It, uh, they, they were able to build their following based on the international attention that they received. Sure. Others actually started small businesses where they would take friends to the restaurant for a small fee. The government didn't think very much of this promotion. In fact, they were very critical, asking people to, quote, be rational. Uh, They complained (laughs) that this publicity stunt had created an exorbitant amount of pointless work in what was already a paperwork-heavy bureaucracy in Taiwan.
0: How can you ask me to be rational in the face of a sweet potato roll?
3: Yeah, yeah. It's a valid question. Good point, Kat. Good point. So the promotion only lasted two days. And then things got even worse for the Taiwan government because the contestants, all the winners, all flocked back to the administration uh, to change their names back. Sure. And most were successful in doing so, but not all, because there was a little-known law in Taiwan that will only allow you to change your name up to three times. And a handful of these contestant winners had already exceeded that three name change limit, wow. and and now they were stuck with names like Dancing Salmon. Wow! So, so a legislator in the New Power Party said, "Quote: After the Salmon Chaos incident, some people had <laughs> already changed their names had already changed their names three times and now had no way to change them back." So there are people walking around in Taiwan with names like Smiling Salmon Bicycle and Comfortable (laughs) Salmon Footwear. The Taiwanese government legislators and national parliament began debating proposed amendments to the names ordinance so people could change their their names back.
2: No. Hope you enjoyed that sushi.
3: (laughs) (laughs) One legislator said, quote, our trust in civic rationality is too low. Um, And then... There was a huge opposition to people changing the amendment. You know, like what Kat was saying, hey, you did this, you you made this bed, you got to sleep in it. On Taiwanese social media, some residents were angered by the debate, saying that adults should be more responsible and that this was a waste of the legislature's time, understandably. Most people think that they had it coming and that they shouldn't change the laws for them. One person on social media said, quote, How can we amend the law for those who sell their personality for the sake of benefits? Be responsible in your own life, salmons. Damn straight.
0: (laughs) I love the Salmons Collective. Yeah. Salmons.
3: Yeah. And so now, if you're a salmon in Taiwan, it's not a good thing. It's cause for ridicule, especially if your name is Smiling Salmon Bicycle. (laughs) Yeah.
2: Yeah. So if they had said specifically in the contest, your birth name Mm -hmm. has to be Salmon, they would have avoided all of this.
3: That would be my guess, yes. My information for this story came from The Guardian and the Taiwan News. Uh, An update to it, they actually did change the laws, and uh, some of them changed their names back, but a couple of them actually decided they liked keeping their Salmon names
0: well, they were good for them. Had already changed their social media names, probably. Probably, and yeah. If they're influencers, you got to stay salmon.
3: Yep, you got. I will stuff. never
2: look at a piece of sushi the same way again, <laughs> <laughs> salmon or otherwise. You know, when I was at Disneyland, the the head of the the park was a guy named Jack Lindquist, who was one of the most creative people I had ever ever met, and he came up with this idea of Disney owned at that time the Queen Mary, and they did this promotion called Ghosts, Myths and Legends. And it was all about how the Queen Mary was supposedly haunted. Right, and right. All the all the things that had happened on board during its during its history. And so it was a it was a tour of the ship that focused on those kinds of rumors and stories and incidents and things like that. So Jack came up with the idea, what if we got a Lloyd's of London insurance policy that if any guest is harmed, touring this, this ship, if they're harmed by a, a ghost or a spirit of some kind, there is a million-dollar insurance policy from Lloyd's of London. Yeah,
3: that's brilliant. So
2: he had somebody in the marketing department call Lloyd's of London and say, here's what we're doing. What would a $1 million insurance policy cost? And Lloyd's of London calls back the next day and says, eh, $3,000. And Jack <laughs> says, do it! Yes! So in small print on your little brochure when you took the tour, there was, there was a little disclaimer that said if you're injured by a ghost during your trip, there's right. a $1 million insurance
3: policy from Lloyd's of London. That's great publicity. Isn't that brilliant? That's that's just clever. It yeah. reminds me of uh, some of the uh, tactics that were taken in the early '50s, '60s. Some of the you know the horror movies where they yeah. would, uh, right? They would,
0: Pregnant people should not watch this film, right?
3: Yeah, and they would put uh, doctors and nurses in the lobby in case people passed out and sure. you know, things like that. Damn. I think that's just brilliant. I, I love l- that. I love stuff yeah. like that. Good marketing. The Shallow End is available wherever you can find fine podcasts. I don't know why they let us in, but they did. Tell your friends if you would about us. It helps grow the show. Uh, if you have a chance to leave a positive review and uh, you know, a 5-star rating, that that helps as well. We're not asking you to be truthful now.
2: <laughs> you don't have We're- to actually like the podcast.
3: No. But we appreciate you taking the time to helping us grow this little baby podcast, getting it to a, a toddler size podcast.
2: I was hoping it would soon be in college.
3: Going to happen sooner than we expected. Oh, time yeah. flies, you know. Yeah. These are precious we're, moments with a baby podcast. We're
2: going to be an empty nest studio. Our <laughs> podcast is gone. but Now what uh, do we do? It'll be back for Christmas. We think.
0: You know, what's interesting, uh, side note, quick tangent before you wrap it up, Empty Nest, the television show, just came up the other day as we were talking, uh, my fellow man uh, needs a haircut. Yeah. And so his hair reminded me of that guy that was on that show Empty Nest.
3: (laughs) Richard Mulligan. (laughs) Oh, sure. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) I've never been compared to Richard Mulligan, although... I love him. Mm-hmm. I always thought he was—he was funny, a veteran character actor. When he played Bert in Soap, that was his yeah, finest role. I thought. I, agree. I
0: loved him in Babes in Toyland, <laughs> the
3: Drew Barrymore. <laughs> Keanu Keanu Reeves vehicle. Oh, my God.
2: (laughs) God, that was great. What an actor.
3: (laughs) Anyway, we will see you next week. And uh, you can find out all kinds of stuff about The Shallow End uh, at our website. You can correspond with us there. Shallowendpodcast.com. And the email address is lifeguard.com at shallowendpodcast.com. Well, yeah. the curator for Box of Oddities, Lifeguard makes sense for The Shallow End. It I does. Guess. We'll see you next time. Make good choices. Your life might depend on
1: it. So concludes another episode of The Shallow End with Schnebley and Toff. We thank you for listening. Oh, be a dear, would you? Please subscribe to this podcast. Give these boys a five-star rating and think of something nice to say. Even if you have to and visit us online at ShallowEndPodcast.com. All contact copyright 2022. Misuse of this podcast may result in serious injury or even death. Follow all label directions. This offer void in Fort Kent, Maine and Tucson, Arizona. And parts of Orlando. Don't ask. Just trust us. Okay, gotta go.